have your Bible, take it, turn to John chapter 10. We have, like I said, a very interesting uh, day here with the Lord's Supper here at the end. We have a choir special that will set our heart for that and uh, help our hearts be ready for that. But in the moment, we are going to turn to the, in the Word of God and see what God's Word has to say for us as we consider these things. John 10, we'll hear a little bit about what Christ has to say about His purpose, His mission, and what He is doing here in this world. Today, as I mentioned, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And it's the week before the crucifixion of the Lord in which he went into Jerusalem on the donkey, as I read at the beginning of the service tonight or this morning. And people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is Hebrew for save us, please, save us, please. They're calling out to Jesus, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They understood something about Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Now, they did not understand everything, as is obvious by how they treated him the next week. But, but they did know that they were, that here was the one who was coming in the name of the Lord. Now, if we're going to appreciate what happened during Holy Week, during the week in which Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, we must understand what Jesus was doing in his coming. We must see his purpose. So this morning, we're going to look in John 10 and see what Jesus describes as his purpose for coming. Father, we ask today you'd open our hearts to your truth. We, Lord, ask please for clarity, understanding, and Father, that we would peel aside any kind of things that are standing in the way of our understanding of you and our submission to you. And Father, may we live out the submission that we ought to live in, in knowing that you are, the you are the one who loves us and has saved us from our sin and from destruction and from hell. We thank you, Lord, for that. And Father, as we come around your word, I pray that the words that you spoke would cut to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we see this morning, we're going to title this message, Abundant Life. And several times in the book of John, Jesus gives these statements that, he, that we call them I am statements because Jesus says I am something. And he talks about his identity and what his purpose is. And they may not seem so dramatic to us, but if you were a person who was a Jew listening to Jesus speak, it would have been like a, like a lightning bolt or a thunderclap right in your face when Jesus says, I am. Because when he said that, he used the Greek phrase, ego eime, which means I myself am. And it's the exact phrase that's used in the Old Testament when, when God describes himself and he says, I am that I am. When, when, when Moses cries out to, the, to say, who are you? God identifies himself with this I am. And Jesus, by saying, I am, I am, I am, he repeats this and he identifies himself with God. And further, the Gospel of John gives us another theme, and that is Jesus is the one who gives life. Now, he is the one who, and who, who alone can give life but God, the deity of Christ on full display we find these verses as Jesus the one who gives life right from the very beginning of the gospel of John in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God that's the son of God there described here as the word he was made he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was what life and the life was a light of men, the word, we find life in him because he brings light out of darkness. He is the one through whom he, he, he creates the world. We see Jesus here on full display, and the light is given, the life is given to whoever believes. We see this in, in John 3 as Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and he says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus freely gives salvation. He is the one who gives life. He's the source of life. In the next chapter, John chapter 4, Jesus is at the, at the well there speaking to a woman. And he's speaking to her in the middle of the day. She has come to draw water. And Jesus says, I have, a, I have a water that you wish you had. I have a water that when you drink of my water, you will never thirst again. And her mind goes to, goes to the physical. And she says, wow, if I can have water that I never thirst again, I never have to go draw water from the well again. That would be amazing. But Jesus says that whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see it? Jesus is describing the gift of salvation because he is the life giver. In fact, to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 5, Jesus just told them he was the one who raises the dead. For as the Father raised the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. He is not dependent on anyone else. He is the one who has life in himself. Most assuredly, I say to you, John 5, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life most assuredly i say to you the hour is coming now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear will live he says for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son to have life in himself i do not have life in myself i am very dependent on many things to keep me alive to have air, water, food. You know, I have to have things. I have to have nourishment. I have to, I am very much not having life in myself. Yet Jesus here says he has life in himself, and we only have life when we come to the life giver. John 5, he says, you search the scriptures for them, them you think you have eternal life, but these are which testify of me, and you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Further, as Jesus in John chapter 6 does a miracle where he feeds the 5,000 there in the wilderness as he spreads out these, this bread, he, he uses this illustration to say this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Just like the woman at the well who said, Give me this to drink. Jesus says, I am the bread. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. In verse 647, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And in John 6, 68, Simon Peter, Jesus says, are you going to go away from me? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In fact, in John 8, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus describes himself as the life 
giver. If you follow Jesus, you will be exposed to life. You will have life because you have light. Now, in John 10, Jesus turns to a couple more analogies. We begin in our top of your outline there that Jesus describes himself as the door. Let's look at this description of Jesus Christ to catch a glimpse of how he describes himself and his purpose. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved to go in and out and find pasture. What does it mean that Jesus is the door? Well, he gives access and protection. He says, I am the door of the sheepfold. There is a sheepfold, a, a, a place, a pen where the sheep were kept. And, and often, we, as we understand, the door was an opening there, and the shepherd would lie down in the opening and provide for himself, be himself the doorway by which the sheep could enter or exit the sheepfold. And nothing was getting in that sheepfold except by the door. There was one way in and one way out. And Jesus identifies himself as that door. He stands in that gap, and he says, you cannot be a sheep of mine unless you come through the door. I protect and I give access to the sheep pen, to the fold here, the sheep fold. Jesus gives access, and he says, all who come before me, there is something different about Jesus' ministry that separates him from the others who came before him. He's not talking about the faithful prophets of God. He's speaking of the unfaithful prophets who are prophets who are called the shepherds of Israel. We'll see that in a minute. He talks about that in Ezekiel. The, the false shepherds of Israel, the bad prophets, the ones who led the people, were not making their claims in good faith. All who came before me, he describes as thieves and robbers, and true sheep do not hear them. They, they are listening for the, sheep, the voice of the shepherd. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be protected. He will be delivered from danger. I guess all of us need to be reminded, we need deliverance. We need saving. We need protecting. You are a sheep. I saw this really funny video. My sister sent it to me. I think a lot of you have probably seen this. There's a, there a, there a shepherd, and he's got a sheep, and he's stuck in a, in a crevasse there on the side, and he's pulling the sheep out, and the sheep has got his legs sticking up, and he finally gets that sheep out of, the, of, of this crevasse, and he, he, he pulls him out of, the, out of the thing, and the sheep gets all excited and starts running, and then like hops and hops and jumps right back in, right, and gets stuck, feet up in the air. And, and the picture being that we are like that, aren't we? We, are, we think we're so smart. We think we're so great. We have this image of ourselves as this big lion or this, you know, this very smart person, but really we're sheep. Um, we should be sheep following our shepherd. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be uh, foolish. We're going to wander. But the one who is with Christ will go in and out and find pasture. That means you'll be protected by the shepherd. You aren't cooped up in the sheep fold. The sheep shepherd provides entrance and protection. You are made to have fellowship with God. You are made to be reconciled with God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You must come to God through Jesus Christ. If you believe this morning you can come to God through any other way, then you are badly mistaken. You cannot come to God through any religion, any other person, any other parent or friend or neighbor. Jesus is the one who gives access, and he's the one who gives protection. Secondly, we see he gives abundant life. As our theme verse for this passage, it says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, or destroy. I have come that. Here's my reason for coming. Whenever you see that, whenever you see this phrase, you're seeing what Jesus identifies as his purpose. I have come that they... The sheep may have life 
and that they may have it more abundantly. It's abundant life. The, the life-giving power that he has is so much more than just the life that we have here. He wants to give it above measure, beyond measure, extraordinary life, overflowing life that comes from the creator of all things, the one who creates, the one who, who is the giver of life, says that he has come to give you life and give you abundant life if you'll be one of his sheep. What a calling. Jesus is the door to the sheep. He is the path who gives access and protection to the sheep. He is the, he is the one who is not only the door, he describes himself also as the good shepherd. And if you look at your, your Bible, he talks about this in verse 11. And what does a good shepherd do? The shepherd is a sacrificial ministry, one who gives of himself for the benefit and the protection and the provision of the sheep. Notice the, the provisional nature, the sacrificial nature of Jesus' work. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In contrast, he says, an hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Earlier, Jesus had talked about a thief and a robber. Now he talks about a hireling. He contrasts himself with a hireling in order to give you a picture of who he is. He says, they're hirelings. They do things for, for money, and I am not doing things for money because a hireling is afraid of opposition. He sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep. He runs away. He says, ah, this is above my pay grade. The shepherd sees the wolf coming, and he fights off the wolf. He protects the sheep because they are his. They are his. They belong to him. Undoubtedly, Jesus is referring to something in the Jewish context for those who had not acted as good shepherds. In Ezekiel chapter 34, if you have in your Bible, you might want to write this in the margin because undoubtedly this is what Jesus is referencing. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God of the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings. You do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field. When they were scattered, my sheep wandered through the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking and searching for them. But Jesus says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is doing what all the other shepherds failed to do. He's the good shepherd, the perfect shepherd, the shepherd who leads and loves, the shepherd who takes care of his sheep, who gives his life sacrificially for his sheep and who knows his sheep. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Two things here. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I, I, I know them. There's a knowledge, a personal, intimate knowledge of Christ. Those who know Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, know Jesus. They know Jesus intimately. And knowing about and knowing is not the same thing. I've had this strange experience um, in that I have met people who have watched our services online, and I have not met them, really. 
And there's, it hasn't happened uh, really since COVID. It's become a little bit more of a thing where, where, where I have met someone and they know, they know me. They know all about me. They know my family. They, they recognize me. They, uh, we talk. And it's, it's strange. It's really strange because I, 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 they, they're like, oh, I've been following your sermon series on whatever. And, I, and I'm like, I've never seen this person in my life. Um, but, but, but I don't know that they know, they know about me, but we don't really know each other. That, that's not the picture here. The picture of knowledge is the picture of an intimate relationship like one at marriage even, because when, when, when Adam and Eve were married in the, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. He wasn't talking about, he like said, oh, that's Eve. Hi. You know, and then, then that led to some sort of conception. No, no, no. There's a intimate knowledge of husband and wife and knowledge is used as a euphemism for intimacy and marriage. And, and it's not the exact same thing here, but the word knowing is far more than just knowing about. It is knowing. He says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. And there's another knowledge here in verse 15. He says, I know the Father. The Father knows me, so I know the Father, and I lay, by down, I lay down my life for the sheep. The Bible teaches that within the Trinity there is relationship established between Father, Son, and Spirit, and there is perfect knowledge between the Father and the Son. And how is that knowledge, that, that voluntary submission within the Trinity played out? He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That is how he shows his submission to the Father. The Father's purposes and salvation are seen in the behavior of the Son and his submission to the Father. But the sheep of Israel... These scattered sheep from Ezekiel are not the only sheep that he's laying down his life for. He did not just come to save the Jewish nation. He was not just a Jewish Messiah. He's a Jewish Messiah, but the Jewish Messiah is to save not just the people of Israel, but God so loved the world. And we have this passage in verse 16 that he says he knows there are other sheep too. Look at this tremendous verse. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. As he speaks, he's speaking to Jews, but he's talking about people like you and me here. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. Many of you are Gentiles. Some of you might be Jewish. But the vast majority of people here in this congregation are worshipers of a Jewish Messiah, although you are Gentiles. Has that ever struck you as kind of strange? That Jesus says in his purpose, I have come because there are other sheep not of this fold who I have to gather into one fold and one people of God, and they will all worship before the Father through Christ alone. And Christ is bringing us into this fold. The work of Jesus extends far beyond what happens with the Jewish nation. He is the door. He is the good shepherd, the one who gives his life for the sheep. And lastly, I want to point out that Jesus is the authority. Don't miss this in verse 17 and 18, that as he demonstrates that he is the door, he is the shepherd, he says, I give my life up voluntarily. I have the authority to give up my life. We mentioned this a little bit back in verse 15, but look in verse 17. He says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Notice the wording. He lays down his life so that purpose he might take it up again. He cannot rise from the dead. We have no Easter morning without his death on the cross. Okay, We have no victory over death without his death on the cross. He dies so that he might rise. And he says, the Father loves me. There is a perfect relationship of harmony and love between the Father and the Son. And he is the one who has the authority to lay down his life. And he alone has the authority to lay down his life. In verse 18, he says, no one takes my life from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. That's of my own authority. I have the authority, the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. Now, none of us has this kind of power. None of us has the power to voluntarily lay down our lives or take it up again. Jesus is the only one who has this kind of power. In fact, if you look at John, 13, John 19, and verse 30, Jesus on the cross, he says, and receive the sour wine. He said, it is finished. Notice what it says here. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. No one killed Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus has the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. There's no one who has the power to kill the Son. And he always lives under submission to the Father. Look at verse 18. If you finish the rest of it, he says, This command I have received from my Father. Even though Jesus is the one with authority, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, positions himself as the one in submission to the will of his Father. As I mentioned when we talked about the Trinity a moment ago, the Father and the Son are co-equally God. They are all both equally God, exist in a proper relationship of authority and submission. Something that is sometimes hard for us to grasp and get our mind around. But Jesus has all the authority to lay down his life, to take up his life, and yet still he lives in complete submission to the Father. Jesus' whole life was lived in submission to the Father. We are called to live in proper submission. And as Jesus lived in submission to the Father, so he lived out in complete obedience. That's why he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Complete, perfect submission to the Father in all things. Jesus here is giving himself as a picture. He is the door by which we have access to the Father. He is the good shepherd, the perfect shepherd, and he is the one with authority. And as we gather here on this Palm Sunday, it's my desire that we focus on the purpose of Christ. Look at your outline this morning. You'll notice how Jesus describes himself and he describes his mission. He alone is the door. He alone is the good shepherd. And he is the one with authority. And why did he come? He says, I have come so that we may have life and we may have it more abundantly. As we have taken these few moments to put our eyes upon our Lord Jesus to cast our eyes on him as the one who gives life and gives it abundantly, I have a question for you this morning. Do you have the abundant life that comes from the shepherd? Are you one of his sheep? Does he know you? You might know a lot about God. You might have studied a lot about Christ, but my question is more pointed than that. It's do you know him? Does he know you because the only way you enter into a peace relationship with God as the good shepherd, as the door, as the one with authority, the only way you enter that relationship with God is through faith in him. You come through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. If you have made your way other ways to God, if you've tried to find other ways to God, you will find yourself severely disappointed because there's only one true way to our Lord Jesus Christ. On so a moment, we're going to bow in prayer. We're going to commit ourselves to the Lord. We're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to receive our offering. Then we're going to do the Lord's Supper. I want us to be thinking and considering these things.
Think about the one who died for you. Think about what he did for you. Think about how your relationship is with him. And a lot of us need to confess our sin before God this morning. We need to be aware of our sin and come to him and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please, Lord, please forgive me. And you know what? When we come to God with forgiveness, he promises to restore us. He promises to forgive us. We come to him in repentance, I should say. He promises to forgive us. Here on Palm Sunday, let us go before the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on the remainder of our service. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and I ask that the power of your spirit be upon us. As we have looked at your image, the image of Christ as the one who is the door, who is the good shepherd, who gives his life for the sheep, who lives in complete submission to the Father, and the one with authority and power, Lord, we thank you that you chose to live in submission so that you might give up your life and take it again. As we celebrate next week the resurrection, may we this week focus on your purpose here on this earth. Father, if there's someone here who does not yet know you, may they come to you in faith, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.